0: Good morning. Uh, You know, uh, Kenton already mentioned this, but I am excited about this since we have some of our college students home with us, but also um, if you're a high school student uh, or a college student, we are going to be a host site for Camp of Champions this summer. And Camp of Champions is a local ministry. It's local to the Peoria area. Their offices are located downtown uh, right off 74. And what they are is a Christian uh, day camp that operates out of churches and provides um, provides uh, you know a camp type experience uh, during the workday. Uh, for uh, oh, the video is loaded. Okay, well, um, let me tell you about a little bit about it, and then I'll, we'll show you this video. Okay, um, but what what they do is they provide. A Christian day camp experience for, uh, for kids of working parents uh, all summer long. And so they will be here all summer from the first, I think it's the first Monday or Tuesday after um, Memorial Day until kids in the local community go back to school. So that'll be an exciting thing. And um, my, my, my daughter, Sarah, was a site director for them uh, last summer. She's worked with them for several summers. If you have some questions about what Camp of Champions is and what it's like, you can obviously talk to Sarah, but you can talk to me. Uh, but if you're a high school or a college-age student, uh, we'd be interested in talking to you about a job, potentially, next summer, a uh, paying gig. And so it uh, be an opportunity to, to serve the Lord and also make a little money Uh, telling kids about Jesus for the summer. So uh, I've got a little short video to show you on that. Hi, this is Andrew. This is my third summer working at Camp Champions. This is my sixth summer overall. I was a camper at the Christian Center, and this year I'm a site director at WB. I'm working here this summer because my good friend Andrew Lindell texted me one day and said that we needed a site director at Woodland Baptist. And uh, the church I had worked at before, and I just love working here. I just love Camp Champions. So I just wanted to make sure uh, the ministry field was keep on going in my life, keeping on going. And uh, so I I definitely think this summer has been uh, one of the most impactful summers, not only in my life, but in the campers' lives. Uh, I can remember one day I walked into Green Team, Team Time here at WV, and we had six campers, uh, all except Jesus on that single day. Uh, and that was just one experience that just really uh, spoke measures to me. Um, that's uh, it's very short, obviously, okay, but it it highlights that one of the type of opportunities that might be there for you of introducing kids over the summer. to to Jesus for the first time in a personal way, to share the gospel with a kid. Uh, Many of the people who come to faith in Jesus do so before their 18th birthday. In fact, about 90% of all the people who choose to follow Jesus throughout their life do so before their 18th birthday. And so youth and children's ministry is absolutely critical uh, if you want to share the gospel with someone. So, uh, you know, I tell people uh, that children's ministry is where it's at, because if you're into adult ministry, as I am, then what you're doing is essentially trying to reshape the concrete after it's hardened. And um, but with with kids, you get an opportunity to share the gospel when it's still wet and they still you still have an opportunity to put uh, the gospel in there in their life before their soul has hardened up. So um, with that in mind, let me pray for us, and then we'll get into God's word together. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you, in your grace and in your mercy, in your tremendous love for us, sent Jesus Christ into the world. The Son of God became incarnate in a virgin's womb, to save men and women who were re- rebels and traitors against you from sin and death and hell. Father, what an amazing story. What an incredible reality that God invaded humanity to save humans from themselves, to save them from the consequences of their own sin, to save them out from slavery to to sin and death and the devil, and to deliver us into The domain of your own son. And to make us your dearly loved children. Father we we pray this morning as we open your word. That if there's anyone here who's never put their trust in Jesus Christ. And in him alone for their salvation. That right now they would believe in Jesus Christ. And receive salvation in that same moment. And Father, for those of us who've already trusted in you, I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, speak to us through your word and continue your work of transforming our lives. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope everyone had a Merry Christmas celebration yesterday. Um, I love this time of year and the opportunity that it presents for us all to reflect on the good things that God has given to us, all of the blessings that we have gotten to enjoy over this past year as God's children, and it is incredible to me. It's absolutely incredible to me that God loves us so much that He sent His Son for the likes of of us, Can you imagine that? I mean, the, 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 the older I get, the longer I live, the better I know the Lord, the more aware I am of my sin and the more shocked I am that God would send Jesus for me. I mean, we are, after all, creatures which God made out of dirt. Amen? Out of dirt. Like, you know, I made made things out of dirt when I was a kid. I would offer my life for none of them, (laughs) right? And yet God made human beings out of dirt and sent his son for us because he loves us. It's an amazing thing. And this is the time of year also when my annual read-through, the whole Bible is wrapping up. Uh, Just as an aside, there's still time to join me if you want to do that this year. We're going to go through um, the one-year Bible, um, and you can either get a copy of that or you can uh, download it onto your phone through version and a bunch of us are going to go through that together. Uh, If you want an invitation into that, uh, see me, but I've done this a number of times We just read through the whole Bible in a year, and I try to use different plans and so forth Uh, The one plan that I did once, and I only want to ever do once, I think, is the chronological plan, where you read through the Bible in sequence in the order that it occurred, and so you read a little bit of Chronicles, and you're reading a little bit of Kings, and you're reading a little bit of this prophet, and and that psalm, and so forth, all at the same time, and you read it as it unfolded, and that sounds really amazing, and by the way, if you want to read the Old Testament that way, it's great because you see how it all fits together and who prophesied the which king and what's going on and all of that and it's fantastic for that but what it means for me on a personal level is that every morning for 10 or I'm sorry for 9 solid months you spend every morning of your quiet time in the old testament and there's no Jesus until October the 2nd okay and what that means is is that by the time Jesus shows up on October the 2nd You are very much ready for, give me some Matthew's Begats, all right? Because I have needed some Jesus for a while. I've been looking forward to this. Can I just tell you, you are so ready for Jesus' arrival. The Old Testament is amazing, but by the end, there's a lot of hopeful longing for Messiah, for people who have long endured under the strain of a lot of suffering as a consequence of their sin. And so reading the Bible that way is as close as I have come to experiencing some of what it must have been like to be part of God's people before Jesus coming. And I can only experience it vicariously, but... Uh, you can imagine the loss and the sense of hardship for the nation of Israel in those days. I mean, think about who the nation of Israel is. They are a people miraculously delivered from slavery in Egypt who were fed by God's own hand for 40 years in the wilderness, who's, who had the visible presence of God a dwelling among them in the tabernacle and the temple who were led by God's chosen king and into worship by His chosen priests and spoken to by His chosen prophets in a verbal way. And after 900 years in the promised land, are ripped out of it into exile. And then they spent 70 years in exile. After 70 years, they returned And the temple was rebuilt, but the Ark of the Covenant had vanished in Jeremiah's day. God's visible presence did not return. The Davidic kingdom was never restored. The nation became the province of one empire and then another, and its people were put under the boot heel of another long succession of pagan rulers. And still the prophets spoke of a day yet to come of a new king, of a green shoot that would grow up miraculously from the long dormant stump of David's family and save Israel in a miraculous way like the kings and prophets and judges of the ancient days. But it had been 400 years since the last word from a writing prophet And God's people suffered through all those long years of waiting and longing and hoping and praying for Messiah to come. Can you imagine that feeling? 400 years ago, the Pilgrim Fathers celebrated Thanksgiving with what was left of their company. 400 years had gone by. If you can imagine that feeling, then you are perfectly primed to understand what's going on in the text we're going to look at today. And I want to invite you to stand and follow along as I read from Luke's Gospel. Chapter 2, verses 22 to 35. This is what the Word of God says. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Please be seated. And the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Uh, Jesus' parents have been living in Bethlehem for the past 40 days. Combining Matthew's account with this one, we know that by this time they're living in a house, uh, and given the nature of of the sacrifice that they offer, which indicates that they are poor people, it's doubtful that the Magi have arrived yet. Jesus' parents were godly people, and so in accordance with the law that required a purification sacrifice 40 days after the birth of a boy and dedication of every firstborn male to the Lord, they take Jesus up to the temple to offer the required sacrifices. It's notable that the sacrifice that they offer is that of poor people. The customary sacrifice was that of a lamb. But if you were too poor for a lamb, you could offer two young pigeons or two turtle doves. And uh, and the purpose of the sacrifice was the cleansing of the woman from her postpartum bleeding and also uh, for the dedication of your firstborn son. And the sacrifice they make on Jesus' behalf is these two turtle doves, two pigeons. It's interesting that even though Jesus is the Davidic king, the son of God, his earthly parents are not wealthy people. Amen. How how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. That is as if God Himself sneaks into history. Born not to wealthy people, but to the poor. They were among, Jesus' parents were among the great mass of people getting by on very little. Surely God coming through, coming into the world through a pair of ordinary, is a completely unexpected way to fulfill his promises, isn't it? If you read the Gospel closely, you'll see that Luke loves to introduce us to people who have all of their prayers and hopes come to fruition in a completely unexpected way. We've seen that several times over the past few weeks as as tottering old Zechariah and old Elizabeth become parents to John the Baptist the last of the Old Testament prophets, the forerunner of Jesus, as Mary unexpectedly bears the Son of God in the air to the Davidic throne despite her virginity, as the shepherds raising lambs for sacrifice meet the Lamb of God who has come into the world to take away its sin as a baby in a manger. Think about that. It's to shepherds that God introduces the Lamb. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Joseph, who is a tradesman who is too poor for a sacrificial lamb, brings the Son of God to his own temple to dedicate him as if he needed to be in service to God. Unexpected things. And now we meet Simeon, this faithful and godly man who has been looking and longing for the coming of Messiah and who sees Him come. Look with me at verse 25. You see how Simeon's longings are described? What does it say? It says that he is waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's obviously a reference to Messiah. But it's a really interesting one. Consolation carries the idea of giving comfort to those who are in pain. Of bringing hope to the hopeless. And Israel has been a nation in pain for a long time. And so Messiah's coming is their comfort and their hope. And this spirit-filled man, Simeon, has been told by God that he will not die until after he sees Messiah come. And on that one perfectly ordinary day, as this man is going up to the temple to worship God as he customarily did, the Messiah is there with his parents. And Simeon, because he is filled with the Holy Spirit, immediately recognizes Jesus as Messiah and prophesies over him. Look with me at what Simeon says. He begins by rejoicing. By thanking God for the fact that God has kept his promise to him. We're not told how old Simeon is. Most people assume that he is an old man. If you see Simeon depicted in artwork, you always see him depicted as like 170 years old. Right? (laughs) Um, But we're not told that he's an old man. His age is never given. There's no clues that are there. Nothing here says that. What we do read, though, is Simeon say something interesting, that he is now ready to die. So that I can go to my death in peace, knowing that God has kept His promise to me, and Messiah is here. And look at how Simeon describes Jesus. It says, a light for the Gentiles, for revelation and for glory to your people Israel. It's interesting how that description goes. Israel did not need to be introduced to God's revelation. Amen? They already had it. They had 39 books worth of God's revelation. And so it was not a foreign concept to them, but Messiah's coming was meant to fulfill their role of drawing the nations to worship God and giving the nations God's revelation. And in so doing, Israel would receive glory by being the nation through whom Messiah came. And also in drawing all of them to worship Yahweh, the true God. And so Simeon also prophesies about this. He prophesies to Mary uh, about Jesus' role and what it will mean. That Jesus, the Messiah, will not simply bring peace We like that part of Jesus' ministry. Amen? We love the part where where Isaiah speaks of Him as the Prince of Peace and we think about peace on earth and we sing about that. But Simeon says that Jesus' coming will not simply bring peace, it will also bring division between people. His coming will mean the downfall of many and the rising of others. His ministry will be a sign from God that will be opposed And what is really present in people's hearts will be revealed and they will separate at the person of Jesus. And even Mary herself, according to Simeon, will be pierced by Jesus' ministry. And this prediction, this prophecy, is a picture of the many ways in which Jesus divides people. Many of the religious leaders will will reject Him despite the fact that He sent person after person after person after person in testimony to them. You remember, no one had ever seen a leper healed. How many lepers did Jesus send down to the temple? Ten. And He said, go and offer the sacrifice that Moses commanded for your cleansing. Ten lepers go trotting off down the road to Jerusalem. Each one is supposed to be individually investigated for who healed you. And that, what are they all going to say? Jesus of Nazareth, right? Has anyone ever heard of a man opening the eyes of a man born blind? Who healed you? Jesus. How did he do it? He made some mud, put it on my eyes, told me to wash, and I washed and I came back seeing. And they say, well, we don't know what happened because we know this man is a sinner. We don't know where he's from. And the man says, well, that is remarkable. No one ever heard of anyone opening the eyes of a man born blind, and yet here I am seeing. And we know God listens to righteous people and not sinners. And they're like, get out of our sight, right? Right? Testimony after testimony after testimony for these religious leaders that he is the Messiah. And yet he was opposed. And their opposition became their downfall. Ironically, they rejected Jesus out of fear that Rome would come and destroy the temple. And it was because they rejected him that Rome came and destroyed the temple. Mary herself will be pierced. She will be confronted by the pain not only of Jesus' death, but in the fact that He is her Son and yet is her Savior and her Lord too. And His priorities and hers will not always be the same. In fact, you'll see an instance of that in the very next section of this book if you keep reading where he says to him, to her and to Joseph, did you not know I had to be in my father's house? He is her Lord and her Savior and her priorities will not always be his and she will need to take the hard step as all followers of Jesus must, of believing in him for salvation. Can you imagine believing as a mother and the identity of the son you yourself bore. The sword will indeed pierce her own heart with these and other painful things. But that brings us to another beautifully thankful person. Simeon is thankful that he has seen the Christ. The Messiah. We also meet Anna who is thankful also for bringing redemption at long last. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him. Speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. There's some interpretive dispute as to how to read this text about Anna's age. Uh, Some argue, uh, and some translations read this way, that the text is best interpreted as her having been a widow for 84 years, which would make her well over 100, because if you figure she got married... 14, 15 years old, was married for seven years, and then was a widow for 84 years. Doing a little quick history major math, that puts her over 100 years old. Amen? Um, Never trust history major math, right? But I can get that one. If she's 22 when her husband dies, and then 84 over 100, other people and the ESV here in my Bible uh, take it that she is 84 at this time regardless we're to, uh, meant to understand that she is an aged woman who has spent many years 84 years since her widowhood going up to the temple every day to worship, to fast, and to pray interestingly she is of the tribe of Asher the tribe of Asher is one of the ten tribes that were in the northern kingdom that split off from David after uh, Solomon died and they were the tribes that went into Syria in exile there and not many were left Asher is from the area their ancestral homeland is in Galilee where Jesus is from But she is part of the righteous remnant of Israel. And she has spent her life as a widow, worshiping at the temple, going every day to fast and to pray and to speak God's word to those who also come. And she sees Jesus and she recognizes him as Messiah. And she speaks to him, speaks about him to everyone else who is looking also for Messiah's coming and for the redemption of the nation from its current state. Now, the last few verses that are here summarize a lot of history. Luke compresses his account on verses 39 and 40. He says, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was on him. He leaves out the time in Egypt that would have come after this when they fled from Herod. He simply notes that they wound up back in Galilee and Nazareth where they started out and that God's favor rested on Jesus. There's a lot that I could say about this text and what it has to say to us. But I want to highlight just a couple of things. That this text is about two people who thank God for the unexpected blessing of Christmas. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. Could there be anything more unexpected? Perhaps you have been a Christian for so long and and have grown used to the idea that you miss the wonder of what Christmas is. What Christmas is, is a God of love coming into the world to save people who hate His guts. Most of us would not walk across the street for somebody who hates our guts. And yet God came for rebels and traitors and people who hated Him. For the same people who in their sin would put him to death, the same people whose sins hung him on the tree, Jesus came for them. That is the unexpected, shocking reality of Christmas. That God came in the flesh to wipe out our sin and the death penalty that we deserved and to make us his own children. How many people that you hate would you bring into your house and give an inheritance to and call son and daughter? God did that. He brought people who hated Him into His family by His grace. The shocking grace of Christmas the incarnation of the Son of God, what it means is that that God loves those who hate Him and He makes them His children. And He gives them an eternal inheritance which can never perish, spoil, or fade. It means that we who simply believe in Jesus the Messiah have peace with God. Even if we have lived at war with him for a long time and we have been in rebellion against him in our sin, at the moment, in the nanosecond that we transfer our allegiance from ourselves and our sin to Jesus Christ, when we believe in him, we are immediately at peace with God when you place your trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation from sin and death, you possess eternal life that second. The peace treaty between you and God is signed, and you who are born a sinner become a son of God instead. And so this text reminds us to thank God for Christmas, because through it we have peace. And the peace we have is not peace like the world gives. Amen? It is permanent peace. A permanent possession. We can go to our graves knowing that however troubled and difficult and however painful our present circumstances and our lives might be, ultimately and eternally, we are at peace with God and we go to our eternal rest in God's presence. And that stills our soul no matter the storm. So thank God for Christmas. Because by Christ's coming, we have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. And secondly, thank God for Christmas because He has brought redemption just like Anna said. At long last. I love the word redemption. I love it. Do you know why? It's a word on the slave market. It's hard for us to imagine this, but there was a time in this country when you could go, in fact, you can go down to Charleston, South Carolina, and other places that have old cities, and some in some places they have these things preserved as a historical marker to remind people of the horrors of what slavery is. And you can walk down the street in the old city of Charleston and you can see the market for hogs, chickens, lambs, cattle, slaves. And people were bought and sold just like livestock. If you can imagine that. The horror of that. And the word redemption is this magnificent word that pictures someone of great resources coming down to the slave market and buying you out of slavery and setting you free. Redeemed. Because Jesus Christ came, men and women, boys and girls, we are redeemed from slavery to sin and death, and hell, and from living under their terrible yoke, and we will not die the way sinners die. We will pass from this life into glory. We will not always be troubled by sin. You know, you get together with your family, and it's always fun, right? But sometimes you want to limit how much family time you get, right? Why? Because somebody's sin is going to pop up in this exchange at some point, right? We rub up against one another, and somebody's going to do something or say something or whatever that we're going to get upset with them, and they're going to get upset with us and whatever, and right? Sin's annoying, <laughs> Right? You get married thinking you're going to ride off into the sunset together and you're going to hang the sign over the over the story that says, and they all lived happily ever after, right? And as I've said, Karen and I had our first fight in the parking lot leaving the reception at our wedding, right? <laughs> and it's not something I'm proud of, but it is something we now laugh about. Okay, it was not funny at the time, but we laugh about it now because we look at ourselves and we go, man, we're stupid, Right? Or one of us is stupid, um, at least. Um, But in any case, you know, we are going to have a day when we are no longer troubled by the reality of sin. Because we have been redeemed, we have been set free from it. And Jesus coming announced the fact that God has brought the long awaited redemption to his people and that by his death, he will give redemption to us. So, what's the right response to Christmas? We've looked over the past several weeks at several right responses. We looked first of all at believing God's promises and His Word in Zechariah's story. We looked at rejoicing in God. Your Savior in Mary's story as the angel comes to her. We looked at proclaiming God's mercy as Zachariah and Elizabeth have their baby. On Christmas Eve, we talked about worshiping Jesus Christ that came. And here this morning, we want to not forget this one to thank God for Christmas. To thank God for the peace that He has given us through Jesus with God Himself. And thank God for the redemption that we have in Him. Let me just say one one more time, real quickly, in case anybody missed it the first time. If you have never believed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who died on the cross for your sins and was raised from the dead to give you new life, I invite you, plead with you, and beg you to do so right now. Because otherwise, Christmas is just a nice holiday. A time to gather with family and eat too much and stay up late and watch movies and do whatever it is that you do with your family, right? But it will have no ultimate meaning for you if you have not put your trust in Jesus Christ. Salvation is is, is hard and simple at the same time. It's hard because you have to admit that you by your own effort are not going to attain salvation for yourself. But having come to that glorious conclusion, you can receive the free gift of salvation that Jesus offers to all who come to Him. You simply put your trust in Jesus Christ in Him alone, and you receive the free gift that He is holding out to you, just like Christmas morning. Receive a free gift, Amen. So, with that, let's uh, let me pray, and then let's stand, and sing, and thank God together for Christmas. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are a giving God, a God who lavishes gifts on people who were Your enemies. Father, we are amazed by the shocking reality of Your grace, by the amazing nature of a God who loves those who do not love Him back, and who sends Jesus into the world to to save them and to transform them and to bring them into His family and make them His children. Father, we love You because You first loved us. And we thank You for the free gift of our salvation in Christ. We thank You that You have brought us peace with You and redemption through faith in Jesus alone. And it is so easy even a child can receive it. Father, if there's anyone here who's never put their trust in you through faith in Christ, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in their heart right now to bring them to that place. And Father, for those of us who have known you for, for minutes or months or years, I pray you would make us thankful for the gift of your Son. And thank you for Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.